Blog Talk Radio. Marla, you there? Yep. Sorry, still getting used to this interface. I have to do three or four different things at the same time. I'm like the okay. cook, the chef, the owner, the dishwasher, and everything all in one. So good luck to gla- you. What you say? I said good luck. Yeah, we're we're enjoying it. We've been doing it for about a week. Had a lot of great guests last week. I'm glad to have you on this week. Glad to finally meet you voice to voice at least. Yes, me too, Billy. 
we were supposed to meet. That never happened because um, I had emergency I had to attend to, but I've been wanting to get you on the show, and um, I know that you do a lot of um, I think the official term you call is a bridger. I'd never heard of that term, but I think it's a great term until you told me about it. But um, Marla's just doing amazing things. Like I said in a, before, she is provide through her seminars with a lot of go-to advice and steps to do that. I'm more on the streets doing it, but she's doing large groups and meeting halls and stuff. So, Marla, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about yourself and what you're doing, and then we can add some questions and stuff. Okay. Well, I, I actually would like to start with telling you all how I came to where I am today. And what happened is I woke up the morning uh, right after the election, the presidential election in 2016, with the thought um, that I really needed to do something about the political divide. And the ironic thing is, is that I had never been political. Um, I was registered as a Democrat, so I just picked those boxes. And um, it's been a really amazing um, journey that I've taken these last three years to, to educate myself better and really, I'm aware of how much I don't know, which is quite humbling. And um, to find my place in the bridging world, because at this point, there is a movement nationwide, which you, which really you have to look for, because mainstream media is not very interested. Um, Amen. I, that. I know. So. It's there if you look for it, and there are some inherent problems within the movement itself. Um, one thing that I've found and that is uh, corroborated by the other, some of the other groups is that there is a left tilt to the, a lot of the bridging groups, and um, that, there's a lot of reasons for that. But, but what I've been doing... So there's two parts that I'm focused on. That's what I want to let you know. One is how to get more of uh, political representation, uh, that is diversity, in, in the bridging movement. And there's been uh, a very good um, study done by the Listen First um, project. It's also called the National Conversation Project, which is started, has been started by conservatives. And he talks about a lot of the problems with um, getting um, everybody to the table. Um, so I feel very, really called to, to take that role, too. Uh, as I said before, I was started out on the left, and now I don't even like to say moderate or centrist because I feel like I'm more an I don't know us. Like now I know enough. <laughs> like that. It's just, yeah, it's because, you know, I've been able to – to zoom out far enough to see what's right about so, so-called each side and what's problematic about each and what scares each about the other, what separates them. And so often now at um, seemingly, you know, nonpartisan or um, bridging events, I often will just speak as the conservative to hold the space in the, in the room. Yeah. yeah, and that isn't always well received amongst uh, progressive circles, but part of my personal 
you know, journey in this whole thing is to, to not be afraid. Where at the beginning I would just, you know, if somebody called me a conservative or a right-wing ideologue, I would just, you know, have to go in bed for five days because my nervous system was so agitated. And now I feel like, no, it's really important. And I do understand enough about the conservative viewpoint because I've studied that I can hold that space. So that's one of my... Let me ask you one question real quick based on what you said, if you don't mind. So what you're saying, I really see in my own reality a lot i see a lot of movements out there but i don't see um as many conservatives coming to the table and i've been whether it's be through better angels or my own things i feel like i really have to work to get conservatives to come and talk and i'm not sure if it, it, i don't think it's they don't want to i think maybe they're too intimidated to i, I don't know i don't know what you think well, about that yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, about a month at the beginning of February, I called together uh, what I call the conservative focus group, and I invited about a dozen um, people who lean somewhere on the right, everywhere from Trump supporters to, you know, uh, more moderate Republicans, and the, all of them came regularly to bridging events for the last three years. So I knew that they, I knew that they understand the bridging movement and they they um, had a buy-in they were interested and committed actually and it was really interesting um, the um, the things that they uh, said and which is also verified by this uh, thing that listen first project did is that there's a, a fear that they will be ridiculed you know even if it's eye-rolling or you know, being yelled at, rejected in some way, um, that they also have a fear, of course I'm generalizing, right, but they also have a fear of being converted. And I do, uh, unfortunately... You mean people trying to convert them, you're saying? Yeah, like progressives or or Democrats trying to convert, you know, the the conservatives to their point of view. And, And I'm... You know, this is all very well-intentioned. I really yep. am not pointing fingers, but um, but it's no none of us like that. No, none of us like the kind of bait-and-switch thing, right? And I don't think. Well, it kind of makes and people so, dig in more, doesn't it, when you kind of do that, it right? All, exactly, too. And, you know, part of the, the problem is if, if the people um, – and I, I'm speaking um, more about – people on the left because I know that world. I can't really – I haven't been involved in the conservative world for very long, so I don't know it as well. But um, uh, there are some bridging groups that, that do want to convert, and, and with good intentions. If only, the, if only the conservatives understood, you know, why we're right, we can do things together. But part of the problem is, and what I've learned from studying is that if they don't, if a person doesn't really think that an opposing point of view um, could have something valuable to add to the conversation and to a, 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 a resolution of problems in new ways, that's not mm-hmm. going to work very well in the bridging world. So I've had people say to me, um, you know, again, I live in a very progressive town you know, oh, it's wonderful what you're doing, and they've never come to my talk. And I, I know that they're understanding that I have a good intention, 
but it really is hard to become a bridger. It's not like let's hold hands. <laughs> You're right about that. <laughs> I know. You have to dig down deep. Um, I'm going to make I statements. I had to dig down deep to look at my own assumptions and prejudice and fears and look how my own survival mechanisms were making me um, double down in certain positions. And it's been a whole big psychological um, (laughs) experience to to come to this place where I'm really much more able to see all points of view. I feel very enriched as a person. I feel like the whole process on a personal level has, has brought out the best in me. Um, so that's, and, and that leads into my second point and what I'm focused on now is what I call the micro part of bridging. So the macro, I would say, are people doing, people doing um, you know, groups and organizations and ideas about how to change policy in a bipartisan way. And there's, there's a laundry list of good things people are doing. However, my personal belief and my experience is that if, if the people involved, how do I want to say this, haven't explored their own, what I call operating systems, the way that we're wired neurobiologically and psycho- psychologically, they, they won't get very far in, in truly bridging. Um, so, so part of one of my projects coming up is a research um, project that I'm doing with an organization in Portland called SAGE. So it's been put off to the fall now, of course. But What's it called today, again? It's called SAGE, S-A-G-E, which is called the Senior, oh, Advocates, okay. for, yeah, Senior uh, okay. Advocates for Generational Equity up in Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. And um, so they, uh, I, I'm going to do a day-long workshop where I talk about all these underpinnings, these personal underpinnings of um, psychology, uh, cognitive, like we have 188 cognitive biases now that social scientists have discovered that run automatically. Yeah, not that we can address all of them, but I I think what I've found anecdotally is people who come regularly to my talks they'll report back and say, wow, I caught myself in a a cognitive uh, bias, um, a confirmation bias, or I see that I have a double standard about, you know, what's okay for my side, but what I judge on the other side. And that, those to me, Billy, are like the, for me, that's the reason I do this. When people come Mm -hmm. back to the talks and say, oh my gosh, I caught myself in the act. I caught my, I interrupted these automatic, um, reactions that do not serve. And and the funny thing is, Billy, and maybe you found this in your own life, is that all of the stuff that I talk about apply to marriages and families and workplaces. Um, Mm -hmm. It's all the same thing. Like, I love how you titled this talk, you know, us versus them, not if I have anything to do with it. And, you know, we're wired to do us and them. So all of this work is from the, the, the... smallest relationship to, you know, the collective. Yeah, and so I think it's, thing, um, oh, one of the things, sorry. so I'd say, I don't know if you heard this woman, they, um, she, like, what's her name again, Manji, God, I can't remember, I think you told me about her, don't label oh, here, me. Here, 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 
Uh, her name is Urshad Manji. Yeah, don't yeah. let me. Yeah. And and how she said it's not an us versus it's an, it's an us and them. That they're right. always going to be these tribes, but we have to realize we're not against each other. Exactly. And you know, to your point, where you where you talk a lot about being American. Um, for for some people, um, American being an American doesn't feel like a very positive thing, and I think that really gets in the way of of uniting us under one tribe. Hmm. Um, you mean America does? But the because people involved, if uh-huh. you know, it's it's hard for people if they're really. Um, not, if they're feeling negatively about being American, it's really hard to create a tribe of Americans. And then you get into problems of the extremes, um, which I actually don't want to get too much into here, but, you know, anything to an extreme becomes a problem, I think. And so if, it's, yep. if things are too nationalistic, that can be a problem. But if they're not nationalistic enough, that could be a problem too. Does that make sense? It does. You know, the, the thing, I mean, I think that I, I worry about and I try to to um, try to get people in ideas. I feel like the the flag has become more of a political symbol than, uh, than a symbol for our whole country. And I'm trying yeah. to kind of change that mindset into what it what it used to be. And I, and I feel like maybe this time right now with this virus, I think it's been a great thing to create bridging with people because you 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 see your, our humanity and all these different people you have to you kind of right all that, that political stuff just kind of disappears a little bit you know I'm, I'm just gonna offer up something else because i that was my hope at the beginning with the whole the whole virus thing, and yet I can see in some circles that it has become politicized and weaponized. Yeah. So, yes, you know, it's the both and. Both there's opportunities, which I really can imagine maybe more at a community, local level, but this S&M thing just really drives a lot of what's going on. And like I said, if people aren't dealing with their own polarization within yeah, it's yeah. Not it's easy to fall so into it too. Yeah, it's automatic actually. And I mean, more, it goes back to how we were a long time ago. Exactly when there were like saber-toothed tigers chasing us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Can you give me? So you were saying there were these examples of things. I forgot to say how many there were of built-in. Um, oh. Cognitive biases. There's yeah. a chart online. If anybody wants to email me, uh, or I can email it to you and you can post it on your site or something. There's a chart of 188 different cognitive biases. And I sometimes joke at the beginning of a, a talk and I say, yeah, we're going to cover them all in this half hour. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's, it's, for me, it's very humbling and just a good reminder to check in with myself when I'm taking a strong position are there one of these uh, biases running? Like one of them that we're prone to is called the availability bias. And that mm-hmm. says that if you hear something often enough, even if it's not true, you'll believe that it's true. And they've done studies, yeah. you know, social scientists. So when, you, when you're listening to your news source, whether it's on the right or the left, when it's 
when it is one-sided and keeps on repeating the same quote-unquote fact, whether that fact is true or totally true or false or not, we're going to believe it. So it's like this Richard Feynman, the theoretical physicist, has great quotes about, you know, mistrusting your own take on things. And I think there's, there's a way to find a kind of a way to, to keep yourself more honest with asking yourself, are you really sure that's true, you know, as things come up? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of my, quote, unquote, favorite biases. That I Do you watch all... media at all? Do you watch mainstream media much? No, I, I don't. Um, no. I also find like on the on the cable news, part of the the big problem is they have to fill it up twenty four seven, so they're often repeating the same yeah, that's stuff true. over and over again, and um, I don't think it's particularly good for our nervous system. So I I kind of read enough. I have certain sources considered both on the or the right or the left, and so I feel I get an overview. And um, as I started out with, on most uh, things, I just don't know. I think mm-hmm. that um, there's, a, there's a journalist, Amanda Ripley, whose work I appreciate, who talks about complicating the narrative and zooming out. And when you're only reading um, a news source that's giving one side, you're not seeing the whole picture. And um, so that, and that's what she was saying is she's involved in trying to create a journalism where not only are both sides, you know, reported within a certain article, but the the journalist actually actually points out how complicated it is in a systemic way. So Mm -hmm. you you might think, oh, oh, there's this example that a friend of mine had um, about complicating the narrative and zooming out and his daughter worked in Africa, I can't remember which countries, for a, um, a like a water, they were putting a water system in Africa or in this village or this town, and um, they were going to put in, a, you know, irrigation and plumbing and all this stuff. And But what they found out, luckily in time, I think, is that the women who um, were the water carriers who went to the river to get the water to bring to the village, they were mm-hmm. safe from from rape because they were mm. so important in the community. Oh, so wow. when I know, and one of my favorite classes that I teach is about the limits of empathy. And this kind of gets into the divide because you've got one, you know, the stereotype of the divide that the, the left are bleeding heart liberals and the right are heartless, you know, selfish people but in yep. fact if we if we give with empathy empathy is a very single focused thing right we're focused that's why advertisers or charities know if you show one kid who's starving you'll get more money than if you show a village right you, you, that empathy is like oh my god i've got to help this person but mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. it's not the best thing to do um, there's a great film that i recommend to anybody who's listening called poverty inc and it is about um, What's it called again? Poverty Inc. I am Poverty Inc. Okay. Yeah, and it's about um, when when helping doesn't help, when helping hurts, and we really do need, you know, the vision and the the, the wanting to do good and the practical pragmatism of like 
well, let's study this up. Let's make sure we're doing the right thing, like with the, the water carriers, before we, we go in and want to fix things. We want to feel better right away. We want to solve these problems right away, but some of the time we do that at our own peril. And, you know, part of how we're wired is we want to have answers right away. We feel much more homeostatic. We feel much more relaxed if we, we think we have the answer, if we have the answer, even if it's the wrong answer. Mhm, mhm. So we have to calm down and be able to to zoom out and think about these. I think. Um. So I'm curious. Have you do you have many um like through this these you know, things you've had these seminars? Have you met people on the conservative end that you've become friends with and continued outside of you know the seminars and continued nurturing your relationship? Totally. I mean, yeah. for example, these these dozen people who were involved in the focus group, um, I consider them friends. I would um, do any kind of social thing with them. Um, I've been actually going to Republican events because I, I haven't exposed myself to that before and uh, had coffee with people that um, that have different points of view than I used to have. And it's just really interesting to have people that I like as people, and then I just want to listen. It's like this is another thing that comes up in, in talks. And what, one thing that I say before we start talks is that don't be in rebuttal mode while, while you're listening to somebody. Really listen to understand, to comprehend. It's like studying Russian or something. It's studying something that I don't know about. And so when I can legitimately and genuinely say um, to my, well, like my friend Kevin, I'll say, tell me what you think about X. And I just listen as if I'm an anthropologist from Mars. And so it's really, and I, at this point I don't get triggered. Like, yes, in early days it was like some of these thoughts were like felt threatening to me. And science shows that, our bodies respond to uh, opposing so-called threatening ideas as if they're physical threats. So mm. now that I've managed to calm my nervous system down... And that's I a whole other more, issue you're talking about there. <laughs> that's a whole other issue, yeah. <laughs> but, that, but I think like what, what I found early in the talk, there were... Um, uh, I used to work with Rob Schlapfer, and we, we worked for uh, two and a half years on presenting uh, things, uh, some of these uh, background things, psychology and stuff, but a lot about the issues. And what we would find when we present issues without any what I call front-loading about um, our, our emotions and our, our reptile brain uh, hijacking our ability to think, I can mm-hmm. see that people would get pissed off. You can see right away with the body language, all of a sudden the arms would cross, the legs would cross, they'd frown. Um, one guy almost hit Rob once. Um, it was really, I just saw, we both saw that people need to understand their nervous systems and their psychology before we can really sit down at the table. And in my view, a lot of the bridging organizations, as good a job as they're doing on different things, they don't usually address that. Some of them do. Better Angels does a great workshop called Depolarizing Within, which uh-huh. I really recommend. 
to anybody if it's in their town. Um, so, um, where was I? Uh, anyway, that's, you know, like you said, it's a really difficult thing to calm our nervous system down, but you know what? It's such a great life skill anyway, whether you're bridging or not. Just so it, it so basically it took you a long time to where things didn't trigger you just by the experience doing it over and over and over is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly, and exactly, and you know to bring a, a a kind of a buzzword in, you know, to be mindful, to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Oh, Billy, there were so many times at talks where people would get upset, and I would I could calm myself down in the moment, you know, but then I'd come home and take a hot have to take like four hot baths in a row to calm down. And what I needed to do is really talk myself down the down off the ledge, like because it was like somehow I felt it was life or death, like I'm not going to survive this. And I really had to unpack, like, well, what do I think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. So my first go-to place now when I um, get triggered, because um, I won't say it doesn't happen ever, is I, my first question to myself is, am I, am I really in danger in this moment? And the mm-hmm. second question I have, is there something I need to do in this moment? Because usually this reactivity is like, oh, my God, I've got to do something right away, partly to try to feel better, right? And um, every time I have done that, and I can say every time, the answers have been no. No, I'm not in danger in this moment, and no, there's nothing I have to do in this moment, and it calms me down. It's like, okay, it's, it's the thing is we are wired to want to feel safe. That's, you know, part of homeostasis, feeling like it's uh-huh. okay, I'm not being threatened, I'm safe. So part of the thing, and again, this could happen in a marriage, how can I, um, what can I do to, to self-regulate and calm myself down, no matter what I'm facing? And, and yeah. ironically, it makes it much better for us to face whatever we're facing, because we have our wits about us. Yep, yep. You know, I, I also, I'm interesting about this whole thing is what you do and what I do, even though we do it differently, it is hard work, and not everybody's going to do it, you know, because it takes so much time. And a lot of times, like you said, you're playing devil's advocate. You might not even be the be the, a Republican, but you're playing that role so you can bring that perspective into an environment that's completely on, on one side. And it's right. hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. It's been my experience. But I think the little rewards you get from I mean, to me, definitely there have been failures with me, but those little rewards, those relationships, those moments and time make it all worth it um, when you get those little things because those little things are what kind of what's going to bring our country together, those little things that you're doing, those little moments. That, that relationship will get another person to reach out to a relationship with somebody. And so on right. and so on. And I think and, that's and that's, think a, that's a – go ahead. No, go ahead. What did you say? Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I'm done. I was just going to add that, that I think um, the bridging thing, I think the reason some people don't want to do it, it's a tough job. It's a tough job. But I think the 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 results are worth it. And – it's, I mean, it just doesn't happen overnight. And, and, you know, I used to think the idea of being neutral, being Switzerland's the easy part. It's one of the hardest roles in the world to play. 
I know, to truly be that way. To, right. to be that and, way. Yeah, exactly. You know, and to your point, I think, you know, what, what, we, what we're both doing in our work is um, humanizing the other. And that is the yeah. cornerstone. Because once you start dehumanizing, people do all kinds of things to others when they dehumanize them. And that is coming, in my view, from both sides. And I also want to get back to your point about, you know, not everybody being able to bridge, um, but also there are people who don't think bridging is a good idea. Yeah, that's true. And on both sides, and I, you know, there's been pushback uh, here, um, you know, in the progressive world on me that, um, no, you know, and again, I really want to point out there's good intentions all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. but, but often on the extremes on both sides, it's like, no, our side has, has to win. And in the best case scenario, I think it's like, and, and then they'll, in terms of their intention, it's like, oh, and then they'll see that, you know, we really are, our way really is better. And, the, and some people are just saying it doesn't matter what the other 48% feel. But, you know, whether you think that or not, I don't think practically, on a practical level, you know, we've been flip-flopping for I don't know how long about, you know, uh, one side is in, in office for eight years, doesn't get much done. It's yep. the other side redoes, you know, undoes some of the things. There's been gridlock for so long, and the thing is it isn't, you know, that 51% are going to be able to um, – initiate the solutions that we need to have. And the other part of it is, Billy, and I really think you'll relate to this, is forcing people and shaming people and calling them bad names does not win hearts. Does not, 100%. Yeah, and if the change is, you know, even if the government mandated certain things, what people could and couldn't do, if it doesn't get addressed at a more root cause, those those things, those tendrils of other points of view are going to come out in more in darker ways. But changing people's heart t- takes longer, but it's more sustainable, or, and and you could argue is the only sustainable way. I had a question for you in this idea, and it may you make an answer or not. So I'm going to first give you my example. I've had examples. You were saying that some people resisted. Um, since I moved to the town I am, which is probably the most liberal town I've ever been in my entire life, and I lived in the, in the Bay Area in Berkeley, California, right near there. So I've been in some liberal areas. And when I moved here and I started this movement, I had some friends that just didn't want to be friends with me anymore after I started Hug Out America. They didn't want me talking to Republican people, and it hurt. It hurt that that happened. I don't know if that's happened to you at all. Yeah, I I have uh, friends. I don't know how they would feel now, but um, in in the past, it it was like they wouldn't come to my talk because they were afraid it would ruin our friendship. Mm. And um, I I do. I have a lot of acquaintances. I would say I don't know what they think or feel about me. I. At the beginning, I was a lot more concerned about that, and um, I remember I had like an aha moment where somebody uh, that I was acquainted with, you know, quote unquote, 
quote unquote accused me of being a conservative, and I thought, um, I had this epiphany, like, oh, so that's a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's even. You know, we could argue if she called me a neo-Nazi. Maybe we could go there, but I'm going. That doesn't make sense to me. Just because I'm a conservative doesn't mean anything. Shouldn't mean anything. And in fact, I was I was recently at um, this this oh yeah this organization that I'm involved with, and I took the role. I said if if I were conservative, I would take how you're saying as X. And it was it, it was a a medium where people were trying to to promote bridging. So it was in context, and it was so funny because. Everyone who talked to me about it later said, well, when you said you were conservative, and I said, well, I didn't say that, but I <laughs> in a way I might as well. And, and if they do get triggered, which some of them did, that's good grist for the mill. And that, you, that would have freaked me out in the past, and now it's like I'm glad to do it, actually, because I don't think there's anything wrong with being a conservative. I think it's an important piece of the conversation to have. I yeah, I mean, that, I agree with you 100%. That I've had a similar experience. I may have told you about it. I I had I go down town when I I've given out hugs, and there conservatives have a hard time. Republicans in this town, so I create a sign that said Republicans are people too, and it, underneath it said, "By the way, I'm a, I'm a I'm not a Republican." And I had that on the street, and boy, did I get some polarizing polarizing response to people. I had a lot of great response, but I had very negative to where people would just, not just verbal, but physical threats and even coming yeah. up and doing physical things to me where I think, you know, we got to realize, like you said, being a, being a Republican or being a conservative is not like being a racist or whatever. It's, it's right. a perspective that over half the country probably like, right? And they just see right. the world a little different. Right. And, and this is the, uh, one of the big problems with uh, generalization and what's called in psychology splitting. Splitting is making things either all good or all bad, all right or all wrong. Yep. And, and again, we're, we're, we're wired up to um, perceive things that way until we, what I call, do a manual override and, and start doing it differently. Um, Billy, are you aware of the hidden tribes? study that they did I think in 2018 no but I don't I'm not aware of a lot of stuff so that's nothing oh that's okay I'm, just, I, I'm going to send you a link but okay they, they t- it was a very well um, vetted uh, study and what they found is that um, only about 15% that would be I think 8 on the left and uh Six on the right were really, really running the hyperpolarization, and they, they hmm. counted about eighty-five percent as being the exhausted majority. Oh, so, interesting. So, so I I like to say that you know my organization, Building Bridgers, is a voice for the exhausted majority. But, um, <laughs> right. Like but this yeah. is the thing because the the news is. Um, and social media is so hyperpolarized. We're, we don't get the other voice, which is the majority, is that most people are more mixed on their um, – they're not ideological. They're more like, oh, they might be a little bit more conservative about immigration and a little more 
uh, liberal about, you know, gay rights. I'm just making stuff up here. But um, And the other interesting thing is the year after Hidden Tribe did that study, they did another one called the Perception Gap. And mm-hmm. I don't remember the numbers, the t- statistics, but, you know, the majority of people on both sides deemed the other side as more extreme in their views. So yep. you've got this, this perception gap. So like some of the things I say in my classes, like watch your generalizations, like learn to use modifiers like some Republicans instead of yeah. all Republicans. Or, right? And the other thing is realizing, you know, that things aren't all good or all bad, not all black or all white. And so how yep. do we bring nuance into our thinking and also, you know, living with uncertainty and paradox and all of that, which, is, which are signs of psychological maturity. Yep, yep, I, I, I agree with you. I did a, I don't know, I'm kind of more, I'm not, I'm not as, um, I don't know, as talented, as handled as you. Sometimes I handle things too bluntly, um, but I put this, thing I, probably about a year ago and I said why is it okay not okay to call Muslims terrorists but it's okay to call Trump supporters racist and sexist I mean they're both oh, yeah. huge groups of people and it, it opened up a whole can of things but it, it's a really valid point that I think we have to realize that we can't be put in this tribe and you've got to see that other side like you're saying you can't say all people you have to say some, like you're right. saying. You, you might, so there, you tone it down a little bit, and I think it's key to do those things you're talking about, where we talk about. It. And 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 I think, I in my conversations, I don't even really usually get in politics. I usually yeah. speak hum, humanity. I speak about their kids, about music, about food, about their football teams, about all those things, you know. And right. those kind of are the best bridges I see. But with what and you're I think, doing, I think it's key that you have to talk about the things that you're talking about, though. Well, I think so, because I think, um, and I don't know if I said this already, but I, what I do see missing in the bridging movement is what I call this education part of, of you know, education about ourselves and how we, how we run, how we operate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so part of my, my way is, and, and you know, to address what you said about your bluntness, I think there's times where bluntness, bluntness is called for. You know, it's like yeah. knowing, it's like that intuitive knowing of what's most effective in the moment, what's optimal. And my way in general is um, instead of uh, go, instead of um, triggering the defense mechanisms. By, mm-hmm. by, like I said before, if Rob and I talked about issues too early, they would, um, people would get defensive and then they'd stop listening. So I think by this self-education, it kind of softens the terrain so that um, the defense mechanisms don't come up right away mm-hmm. so that, mm-hmm. that we can go deeper into to topics um, in, in a gentler way. That's, that's my approach. And um, yeah, and and I like to to think that I meet people where they are. Like that's, I've been inviting people um, 
you know, because I haven't been doing a lot of public presentations right now, but I've invited everyone on my emailing list if they want to know more about bridging, buy me a cup of coffee. And, you know, some people I can see it's not going to go very far. So yep. Um, yep. I will listen to them more more than try to tell them something. And and then with one person who was, an, you know, somebody I knew, um, he's more on the progressive side, and we've been having these beautiful conversations. And she's so, she's so um, psychologically savvy that if I would say something that would trigger her, she'd say, wait a minute, I'm having a moment of cognitive dissonance, which means when, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just so people understand, it's like when some new idea, some new piece of information rubs up against your um, points of view or your cherished points of view. But she'd say, wait a minute, I'm having a moment of cognitive dissonance. Give me a moment. She took some deep breaths and she said, I really want to understand what you're saying. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so beautiful. Like she knew enough how to calm down so she could listen and get under her own defense mechanism. So, um, so I think by being, and I, it sounds like you found that too. You you get a sense of um, where you can meet somebody, and and I think it's brilliant when you talk about you do the first step, which is this human interaction of what we all have in common, and establish that. Yeah, I mean, that's in, what's in regards change to regards to that. One quick story I want to give you, I don't think I've told you that, that was a huge opening thing to the humanity aspect to me, is um, I go down to Hilton Head Island in the summers with my kids, and I go down the beach, and I give out buttons on the beach, and I have a bag, and I give out 50, and then I turn around and go back home. And I give them to everybody, and some of them give a hug. The thing about the, the beach is you meet every kind of person you can imagine, because everybody likes the beach. So I meet every kind mm-hmm. of political person. You can just meet everybody. And I'm going down to the beach one time, and I see this guy way out in the water fishing. And I'm like, I'm just going to ride my bike out to the surf. So I rode it through the surf, and I couldn't pedal anymore. So then I'm pushing my, my bike basically in three feet of surf going towards this fisherman. He's looking me at the corner like, who's this crazy fool coming over here with this, <laughs> this, this bike? And I went to him, and I just started talking fishing. I said, you know – what are you using to catch? What you catching? I was talking about we were, what I was catching there the other day, and I noticed he had a, a Clemson hat on, so we started talking about Clemson, which led in our families. And we're sitting there talking probably 30 minutes. We are talking about all different things. And I looked down at my watch, and I noticed it's early in the morning. I noticed I need to get back because I have somebody watching my kids while I'm gone. So I, I'm like, i got to go. It's been great talking. He goes, oh, before you go, let me get over and meet my family. So we walk into the shore. I'm looking, looking at him and not really looking what's in front of me. And we get right in front of his family, and they have towels that are Confederate flags and basically white power things lining the beach. And I, I pretty much can chat about anything and just blah, blah, blah. But I was speechless at that point. And I just looked at the ground, and I shook their hands and said hi to all them. And then I went down the beach. I was kind of, like, blown away. And then I was like, wow, if I can connect with that person who has very different views than me and me have no clue whatsoever 
of where they are, that we have that bond. Imagine what we can do with people that we're not even that far away from, right? So that was a big, big moment for me that saw that there's this humanity, regardless of where people I like to hear that, where it's a racist or anybody else, we have more in common than with everybody than not. It's just our reality. We have the same wants and needs and desires as anybody. I don't know if you've had any experiences or stories like that extreme. Well, I have a couple. I have two um, stories that I really like. Um, Rob and I had done a year-long class on building bridges, and where we met once a month for five hours. And there was um, there was like that. We started with twenty people, probably three or four conservatives. We ended with with ten, but the three or four conservatives did stay in. People didn't know. They knew they were mixed, but they didn't know what they were at the beginning. But there was one man um, who, he knows who he is. He's giving me permission to share this story where um, he, he really had a hard time with Trump supporters. He just mm-hmm. didn't understand and, and really generalized uh, in, in a negative way. And so, but, but this man loves, loves, loves animals. And he was watching like a nature show um, where it was about how humans rescued animals in, posi- in situations of great danger to themselves. And mm-hmm. he said, as one of them, there were these, these guys in MAGA hats who took a bucket off a bear's head. And he had an <laughs> aha moment. It was great. And that was like one of my I can die happy moments. You know, my yeah. work here can be done if, this, if I died right now. And um, the other story like that, well, similar to that, um, is in one of our talks, we talked about, um, and Brene Brown uses this as an example in her book, Braving the Wilderness, that um, if you think, um, you know, calling um, Hillary Clinton a bitch, you should be equally as affronted as people call Kellyanne Conway or Ivanka Trump, the same thing. And, and, and there were other examples. And at the Q&A, this woman raised her hand, and she was teary, and she says, I have a true confession. She said, I called those women that, those, those names, and I will never do that again. And so it's like wow. this, this very person, yeah, right? Like Because I do think what happens is once someone has what I would call that kind of breakthrough on, on a small level, all kinds of things start opening up because it, it puts a chink into the closed system um, of, their, of how we all get caught up in our own closed system until we let new information in. I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that story because I had a similar story, and, and, and the conclusion of that, my story has not been it's, it's come to, it has not come to conclusion. Who knows what will happen? But I go to a church um, that basically says everybody's welcome. Welcome all. Welcome all. And I've basically switched churches three or four times based on people saying they're a welcome all place. And this last one I went to, they actually changed the doctrine of their service to say welcome all political leanings. So I actually joined the church. I got my family. I went to it. I hadn't joined a church in a long time. I was really excited about it. But I've been watching, noticing the sermons, and they told me, you know, they're glad I was a part of the sermon and stuff like that. 
Well, they had done a sermon where they were talking about, and it done several times about Donald Trump, and they were basically attacking him and, and saying all these bad things about him. And they actually brought it into the children, so the children were repeating these things. And mm-hmm. I, I just like I gotta say something about this. I gotta say something about this. I'm like, and I said, I said, you know, I said, I know you. You're a welcome all church, but if you really want to be a welcome all church and you want to get people who might be possible Trump supporters, I don't I don't think you should bash Donald Trump every service because what if I got up there and started bashing Hillary Clinton? How would you feel about that? You know, mm-hmm. would you be a welcome in that church? Would you want to come to that church? Um, I, I doubt it. So. You know, it was it was a Zoom conference last weekend, so it was probably 100 people, 50, 78. I don't know, a lot of people saw it, and I think they were kind of deer in the headlights that I would do that. So I don't know what's going to happen with that conclusion. If it's good to hear the conclusion that you had, I'm hoping something like that will happen with my church because I feel like we got to realize our language, like you said, it goes both ways. Right. Feeling and, that on and- both sides of the spectrum. Right. And, you know, Billy, this is my um, experience has been that um, that um, sorry, my mind just went blank. Oh, that these seeds that we plant, um, we won't know. If we're lucky, we'll know. But I do think that of all those people who heard what you said, it's going to land with someone. Even if it's in a year, they're going to have an aha moment or it's going to plant plant a seed that we can't know about, but it's like, for me, the ability to speak up when I see something and do it in the cleanest way that I can mm-hmm. so that it doesn't, you know, have caused people to double down or to feel like I'm in some way shaming them. It's like, yep. just, just be as clean as I can. And to that, to that uh, point too, you know, the signs that everyone has, like everyone is welcome it's like I want to do a sign that says, and you've done things like this, you know, including Republicans, you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. Republicans are welcome, too. I mean, that's the thing about the inclusivity movement. And, and Urshad Manji in her book, Don't Label Me, talks about this a lot. Yeah, yeah she does. Real inclusivity is real inclusivity, not just with the people you agree with. And that's where that's what's hard about this. Until it's not hard anymore, and I feel like both you and I have reached a place where it doesn't take that. Um, it's become more second nature, I would say. Yeah. Do, let me ask you another question. So, when you have this kind of mindset of always what I call what you think, standing up for what you think is right, even though the whole room may be seated, right? Do you have <laughs> yeah. always been like that in your life, or? Totally throughout not. it where you would take these chances where you people other people might not say anything or do something at all? No. I I have been a conflict avoidant all my life. I'm sixty four years old, so yeah, and but the, the uh, I'm gonna use the word calling. The calling to do this work, what I woke up with on whatever that was, November ninth, two thousand sixteen has been so strong that it's almost like, girl, if you want to do this, you're just going to have to, you know, get inner muscle and 
there's times where I had to take a month or two off the work because my nervous system was so afraid. And now it's I'm much sturdier and um yeah, it makes me emotional to see how far I've come. That's um, great. That's really cool to hear. I like to hear that. Yeah, so yeah. I I'm learning to be more more outspoken. Um and, and it doesn't have the same rub. Like like I mentioned, like in these different progressive circles where I will voice this other point of view, I don't get I don't get nervous anymore. Even one woman got triggered, but I, you know, I told myself she's not attacking me, and she mm-hmm. has a lot of passion about this. And if I can mm-hmm. reinterpret it at, instead of as a threat, it's like, wow, yeah, this brought up something for this person. It's it's fine. It's good. And the more we, and this is the prop. Go ahead. I would just say, and it all came this whole like change of mindset and putting yourself out there came from just the election and Trump becoming elected pretty much? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, and the divisiveness. The, and the, the divisiveness, divisiveness from that. Yeah, and yeah. you know, not that, that it wasn't already there, but it really, you know, like somewhere intuitively I thought this is this is going to be a really divisive thing for the country, no matter which side of the the aisle you stand on. And, Did you have and, friends you know, at that point that were separated because Trump was getting elected that, that happened when that, you know, that personally? That, not, no? Okay. Not, not real close in. Like anecdotally, I had heard about people. But more that, um, you know, part of what I say too is that, because people will often say to me, well, what about, the administration, what about Trump? I said, look, I'm playing the long game. This is like, how do we build a new, better citizenry? Because administrations will come and go, and they'll do damage all, all, you know, across the board. But how do we connect? And this is what you're doing one hug at a time. How do we connect to create something that's going to carry on in a better way going forward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, and I think it has to be, you know, one by one. I think it's it's not it's a personal thing. I I, I agree. I, I I think that's key. The one on one thing is, like, I try when I do these conversation is to make it one on one is key to me because we we lose that once you even put one other person in the conversation. You know, at some point, you know, I sometimes bring people in to talk on the show, but, you know, I wanted to get one-on-one with you and let people hear what we're discussing. Like, and I was curious, were you the one that recommended that book to me, um, Love Your Enemies? Yes, that's our, that was our textbook for our year-long class. I yeah. love that book. Love it, Marla. I, I love know. it. I've it's... given that book to about 100 people. That's awesome. And and just so the listeners know, Arthur Arthur Brooks is the author, and he is a Roman Catholic conservative who used to head up the American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank, but he's really a bridger. He's a a great bridger. Yeah, I want to get him on the show. I don't know if I'll ever be able to pull it. And I don't know if I told you that there's a story in the in the book I think you know about where Newsom 
the guy who's the Make America Great guy and Hawk, the Black Lives Matter guy, come together. Yeah. It 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 they basically come. I think they Make America Great. They're having a a big speech, and he invites Hawk up on the stage to speak to the crowd, and they basically have a hug out moment, right? Yeah. Totally. In real life. And that's pretty amazing stuff that that would happen, those two polar things. Um, and I actually got an artist to draw a painting of that representation because it was his book. It moved me so much. And I highly recommend anybody out there to read that book. I'll try to put it up for people. Um, I recommend everybody to read it because you, you, it's just an amazing book. And that idea of, you know, loving your enemies is a tough one, but I think it – you. You're so great from it. You get a lot of rewards from doing that very thing. Um, right. And I know that, you know, I, I do pick, I don't know what word he could have used, and I know that it's a an expression, love thy enemies. But, um, you know, I don't look at other points of view as my enemies anymore. Yeah, me either. Same thing. Um, so that's. That's a, a, like another step beyond. And by the way, there's a great clip. I don't think it's more than eight minutes with uh, Hawk Newsom and the the uh, the white nationalist guy. Um, how they came together. I'll send you the link too, and you can. Oh, please send me that. Yeah, definitely. It's just beautiful. And he and Hawk Newsom, the Black Lives Matter guy, got a lot of pushback. A lot of pushback from his own side. That's another thing. I'm sure he did. That, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that doesn't got, get talked about so much is that when you are trying to bridge, sometimes you get more pushback from your own side. Oh, yeah. Side <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that, I was just there? Yeah, I was just oh, writing okay. it down real, real quick. Um, just that that idea is just what they're doing is so cool and how I'm. I'm nothing. I was curious about. I know you're you're on social media a little bit, but if you had and and everybody has these things, I feel like people when they're on social media, I have what they call they call I call keyboard courage, where they just oh, say whatever. Yeah comes to their mind because they're not they're anonymous nobody can see them and then they're and facebook just kind of brings out the side in people have you had any cut so any conversations with people where you may have had a bad conversation but you stuck with it to try to get something um to try to bring it back to civility or anything like that i i personally haven't i don't have the stomach for it i i've been attacked once or twice on Facebook, and I found it very uh, distressing and really hard to, um, I don't know. I didn't find a way to, to deal with that on, on social media. So it's I'm tough. Pretty, it's tough, and I think it's just such a poor way to communicate. Um, there is a quote that I posted by a man named Charles Eisenstein, who is, you know, somewhere on the progressive left. But he said, um, it was beautiful. It was like every time you are filled with hate or, you know, judgment uh, and you're ready to send something and press send, he said, don't do it. Don't, 
don't press send from a place of hatred. Yeah. Yeah. And um, again, this is a really good personal exercise. Like, what do you? That's for me. It's like if I don't have something that's bridging to say online, I don't say it, and I certainly don't share things, and I don't share things that I don't know are well-founded. So everyone can take responsibility for the problem if they get smarter about what they're, they're uh, posting and sharing on Facebook. Well, and, and I've, here's in response to that, so I've been the kind where I have posted things I shouldn't have posted. I'm just going to admit out front. I said some bad things on there I shouldn't have said. And the way I realize that, honestly, and I don't know for some people, sometimes even in the heat of that moment, I don't even realize it. I have to look at my Facebook page the next day and say, wow, this should not be here. So I try to write stuff that I'll be happy with from days and days to come. Because yeah. when you're in that moment, it is, I mean, there, I'm just saying there's that humanity thing when you do do that. But when you said something, maybe go back to your page and take all those things off. I've taken off tons of stuff off my page when I got heated about some particular issue that I shouldn't have gotten, you know, that happened to me. Mm -hmm. If you kind of do that thing, you go back through that page and make sure somebody goes through that page that they'll want to go through the whole page and you'll be happy with whatever they saw about you on that page. And that's what I try to do with my page. I don't know. There's a, um, I don't know. Do you know a guy named Michael Fronte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's super positive. He has a page. If you ever want to be in a, you want to be brought back up, go to join his group and go to his page. It's all positivity, the whole thing, all the way down from people all over, every kind of person you can imagine. Trying right. to em- emulate that kind of idea, I think, is key. I, I commend you for doing that, not hitting that send button or whatever because I, I sometimes make that mistake and do that and then regret it and like oh gosh never should yeah like never I sleep on it you know before doing wait 24 hours um yeah but there's michael Franzi has a great song somewhere back there about right and wrong and sides do you know what i'm talking about is it a recent one i'll try to find it is it a recent one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it's recent, but I'm going to find huh. it and I'll send you the link. Yeah, he's a lot of good. I, I, I did have one. So you were saying you don't do the Facebook thing. I was just curious. It, it is real hard to do it, and I've tried really hard to people that that comment me, um, on Facebook. And I just, I stay civil the whole time, and I just try to stay in the conversation with a civil, 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 all the way down. And I had one woman that I we we have been in major. She is very, um, I would say, us versus them, and very mm-hmm. polar. And she attacks me in a lot of ways. But for some reason, I, you know, I'm going to try to stick with this relationship, try to sew it and make it a better situation. And you know what? How, you know you know how we've come together. Now she's actually we're actually communicating on a good level, and she's seeing more humanity in me or whatever. Um, is through this virus. Oh, we've come together, come together on that idea, and we're we're not coming to blows anymore. And it, and and most of my friends say, what are you, "Why are you spending your time on this? Why are you working on this?" I'm like, "It's good practice. It's good practice yeah. for me." To do it online, to have these conversations where I don't hit that that 
that sin or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to do that stuff, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's and I I'm, I I love you, Marla. I mean I've I mean I always like how you have not taken a side where you're like when I had my when I was working on the Tulsi campaign, you're like mm-hmm. you stuck like no, I'm not going to go on a political route at all. No, but I'm going to stay in this middle ground. And I so respect that you did that, and that's oh. why I know you. You have success in what you do because you're so good at staying that. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, it was a little hard for me to, to say no, but I wanted to be honest with you. And um, I've just had that, I've run into that problem before, and it's really important to just be be neutral about certain political things. Yeah. But I, you're, well, the political stuff is kind of exhausting. Well, yeah, that too. But you're, you're inspiring me to maybe be a little bolder online um, because you know having admitted that I'm a recovering conflict avoidance um, you know there's still parts that I just kind of have to pick and choose where I'm willing to um, get nervous so yeah yeah I I, I think I, I I respect I admire you for doing that you understand I'm I never have a problem getting into conflict and confrontation with people when I feel like I'm doing the right thing my whole life. That's why I was curious if that situation was with you. With me growing up in the South, I had to do it a lot because a lot of my friends were black, and I got in a little battles with my other friends trying to protect them and stuff and through my life. But it's interesting to me that you weren't like that before, but you were so moved to completely change the way you are. That's that's admiring. Um, that you do that, and I, I, I was glad to hear that, to hear that. Um, yeah, but it's been great talking to you today, and um, I, I love hearing about what you're doing. What what you got going in the, in the future? You said you had something coming up. Well, I'm doing a couple of film nights with a group called Crossing Party Lines, which is a national organization. They do brilliant work. Um, so I'm doing a film night tomorrow night that's sold out it, online. And there is space in one on Tuesday the 14th next week. So you can go on to Meetup and look at Crossing Party Lines. And um, where, where, where is it again? Well, it's, uh, it's nationwide. Um, but um, the, I, if you just go on Meetup and look for Crossing Party Meetup. Lines. okay. Yeah, meetup.com. And then um, this other research project we put off till uh, September. And in the meantime, I'm, you know, working still on getting uh, more conservative voices represented in the bridging world. So there's nothing really specific now with the the lockdown and everything. It's tough, um, yeah. It is tough, but I really invite anybody, you know, who wants to have a conversation with me to to email me or, or you know, call me, and we can kick things around. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the reason I started this station, because I, I this radio station, I was planning on this summer and in this spring taking time off and going to visit the other states to – hug somebody in every state and listen, open the minds and listen to people's different perspectives. And then this hits. I was like, man, I can't, I can't do anything. I'm going to be stuck in my house. I got to find some way to at least wrap my mind around people. 
So I get how you feeling. You you, you got to try other avenues. You got to get creative in in the ways you reach people. Um, well, and we have, have to rely on online so much now. Right, and I I'm grateful to be the recipient of your creativity. <laughs> well, I'm I'm. I'm I'm happy to have you. I'm glad to have you. I want to tell you one last thing. I don't know if I know if I told you. Um, the thing that I'm working on is I have this thing called One Love Art. I'm about to start. You might be interested in, in hearing about this. I have a friend I met in New Orleans um, through a good friend of mine, just by chance. Um, we went to school there, and she actually – I was supposed to meet – I was going to a jazz fest with a group of friends, and I flew in a day early to spend time with her. Well, she had a business meeting she thought was, was coming back on that day. Well, she misbooked it, and she was not there when I got there. So I was in this apartment with this guy I'd never met for a whole day, and we actually connected – and this guy is night and day for me. I honestly, I grew up in country club environment in the South. Um, he grew up in inner city. He, he's he's an artist. I mean, the things he does, he's had uh, the things that he's dealt with are totally different than. Him, but we just connected on this level of trying to bring the country together, even though we were so different. We we walked along the Mississippi River for only an hour talking about things, and I was talking about my life and his life, and the humanity connected us, and we started this project. Basically, you, you see my logo of the red and the blue coming together called One mm-hmm. Love. We have art projects we're working on together where I give my design skills and my writing skills, and he puts his art skill, and we literally have pieces we're putting together and our first piece we're doing is called humanity and um all the procedure going to go to the city of new orleans to fight the coronavirus um because he lived there his whole life i went to school it all plays a special part in our life in new orleans it's getting hit harder than any other place on the i think there's a couple places but it's so small and the mindset is so laid back there that it's just ravaging New Orleans. He actually had to leave the city just a while ago because it got so bad. But we're oh, doing God. this piece, and, and we're and we're excited about it. It's going to be, like I said, like a one love art and uh, trying to bring everybody together and all these art pieces because I think art is key to do that. Get this kind of stuff we got going. Oh, that's beautiful, Billy. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's it's not launched yet. I just wanted you to tell you about it first because. You know, we're kindred spirits in so many ways um, in the way we're doing it. And maybe at some point I'll get to meet you in, in person when I head out Oregon Way, and I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you last time. And, and hopefully, you know, we'll be we'll be through all this stuff soon enough. And, and you know, I think it, it may have some positive aspects when we're done with this. We will be able to see the humanity in each other and – be able to see past this tribalism through the politics you you talk about with all your people. So. Yeah, I have great hopes too for that, and I think you know on the local level especially. Well, I, I'm an, I I extended my my radio show for a long time today because I knew I'd, I'd get I'd want to talk to you for a long time, and I'm glad I did. So I look forward to 
one day see you, but it's great to at least talk to you voice to voice and um and thanks again and uh good luck getting through this. Are you have you have you been in quarantine at home yourself or Yeah, I've been pretty much staying close to home. Yeah. 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 Or or are you are you by yourself or you have family or Well actually it's funny because I was living alone but now two of my sons are back here. And um my stepson is coming back, and yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting family dynamics happening, and so we're it's really sweet to be back together um, like we are. Very sweet. So there there are good things coming out of this situation for sure. Are they from the the, the Oregon area, or do they live close by? One or? One, one lives here, and one oh. lives in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. That's great to have yeah. your kids back. Mine are. It's still pretty young, so they get on my nerves more than anything. I'm ready to have them out of the house most of the time. <laughs> but I'm sure that will change once they leave. I'll be begging them, oh, exactly. please come back. Exactly. <laughs> right now, I, I'm, I'm forced to keep them in here for a while. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, try to make the best of it and the most of it because they'll be gone soon. And, uh, uh, I, I try really to remember see- that. I try to remember that more than anything, even if they, you know, or driving me nuts, you know. But I mean, it, it's I mean, it's a good thing that we can stay at home. And like I said, we're blessed that some of us can. I mean, some people have jobs where they can, or schedules where they have to be out, you know. So mm-hmm. it's good that we can do this. So, all right. Well, have a good day, and um, and I'll I'll talk to you soon. I hope, and uh, take care. You too, Billy. Thanks again. Yeah. No problem. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all, that's about it for the day on Hug It Out America Radio. Good to have Marley in to talk to us. I extended our hour to an hour and a half today, and we're probably going to go almost to that point. I want to let y'all know that coming up Wednesday, we'll have Chris, um, who's a Springfield artist I told you about, is going to come and talk about how he uses art to get people out of their bad situation, he lives in pretty much a gang-ravaged neighborhood in Springfield, and I met him, and we had some talks and stuff. And then I have a a guy who's a, a great musician, great guitar player, is writing some great songs. Um, got one called Can't Touch This. He's going to play on the show. He's going to play and explain that to us and say what he's been doing in his life. And uh, then next week we got more people, but those are the people we got lined up this week. And uh, – Hope you all have a good day and uh, try to stay safe and not drive each other too crazy if you're in a quarantine. And remember this bonding moment, like Marla said, to take advantage of it while you got because later on you might not have it. So till next time, hug it out, America. You all have a good day. Bye-bye.